Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Broadway Babies. I'm Stephanie Anderson. And I'm Noelle Hannibal. And today we have Lance Roberts with us today. I'm very excited about this. Um, say hello to everyone, Lance. Hello, everyone. Lance. <laughs> you can't say that I don't follow directions. This is very true. Such a this great is... actor. Yeah. There you go. The director's dream. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> So we're going to talk with Lance a little bit about his career and uh, loves and likes and dislikes, all that kind of fun stuff today. So um, Lance, we're going to start off with one question here. How did you get into this particular profession? Was this something that you always wanted or you knew this is what you were going to do or was it a segue in from something else? Well, uh, I grew up and in a time where I didn't know of very many African-American uh, people in show business. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I started, uh, I grew up in Harlem and in New York City here, and I would sing in the chorus um, and, and we had a solo club as well in junior high school, uh, JHS 43. Um, and, <laughs> <Represent>. um, exactly. <laughs> and uh, a great teacher named Mr. Carr. I mean, all of, uh, I think everyone who ends up in any uh, career in the arts is usually spurred on by a great teacher. And that was, um, it started with uh, Mr. Lloyd in fifth grade in elementary school. And then Mr. Carr, who really, uh, you know, put me in the limelight where it's like, oh, I guess he has some talent because even my mother will tell you I would sing around the house and she would go, shut up, boy. And then she <laughs> came, came to see the shows at 43 and go, oh, my God, wait, my son can sing. What is this? It's something so weird. Um, you know, and so I didn't know it was a career, even though I did audition for the High School of Music and Art. And I uh, that was only one of two people from my junior high school who got in. Oh, wow. Um, wow. so, and, uh, that's when the high school of music and art was up on the city college campus. Um, it later moved down uh, to become the fame school. Mm. Uh, so like I go way back, this is like, this <laughs> uh, so it became the fame school downtown on 46th street. Um, and, and now it's, it's part of LaGuardia high, which is a huge institution here near uh, Lincoln center and Juilliard. But. I also uh, did well, uh, you know, academically, and I was offered a scholarship to a program called A Better Chance, called the ABC program, um, and it's a great program, and uh, they, uh, it's basically, they place um, kids who are disenfranchised, you know, whatever that means, um, but uh, who test well um, around the country, and uh, put them into uh, private schools around the country. And so um, I got it, but I was going to the high school of music and art, even though, even right now, I still don't know why I was going to the high school of music and art. What was I going to do? I wasn't, it wasn't about performing. I think it was to be a music teacher. I think that's okay. what was, uh, it was going to be. And so, but then uh, my mother was like, well, why don't you go check out, you know, the school? So in the spring, of my, it must have been ninth grade, I went up to um, uh, to look at a couple of schools in Massachusetts. They had given me three to look at, and I want to think it's Phillips Andover, um, another school, um, oh, oh, Milton Academy, and then there was a, pro a public school that had placed so high um, in their testing that they allowed this one public school to be a part of this private school program. And it was called Maskinomic Regional, uh, 40 miles north of Boston. And I also went there. And uh, I remember really liking the people there. Uh, they took me to a movie, it was Papillon with Dustin Hoffman, I remember that. Um, and, um, and then I came back to New York because I was going to the High School of Music and Art. But then yet again, my mother said, 
why don't you try just going there for the first two weeks of the school year, and then you can come back if you don't like it uh, to go to the high school of music. I mean, to go to the high school of music and art, uh, since New York schools always start later than everyone else in the country. And um, I thought, oh, that's a good plan, but for some strange reason, I knew that something was amiss. My mother was up to something. <laughs> and I was in at the, the Port Authority and I had my one big suitcase and one Bernadette Peters tear coming down. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and I didn't I didn't even know who Bernadette Peters was then. <laughs> but I was I was doing that tier, you know, uh, you know, if you know the, the score to song and dance, you know, she sings, she cries through the entire score and it sounds phenomenal. Well, that would have been me. I was doing my song and dance and I was walking. Um, and I remember walking slow, slowly so that I was like, Oh, I'll miss the bus to Boston. And I remember my mother standing all the way down uh, by the gate uh, for the uh, bus to Boston and saying, boy, you better get down here because if you miss this bus, they run on the hour. So you'll just take the next one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So then she said, I met these, uh, the parents of this kid named Peter and uh, he's on the bus already and he's going to the same school you're going to. So uh, make friends and you'll have a friend when you get to school. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, okay. So as soon as I get on the bus, I see this guy, Peter, sitting all the way in the back. And I'm like, there's no way I'm sitting next to anybody who would agree to go all the way to this school. So I sat up front by some other person on the bus and then uh, halfway up to Boston, uh, this guy and I started talking and only to find out he was also going to that school. His name was Carlos. So uh, those are my two friends. So I go up to this school and next thing you know, you couldn't get me away from Masconomic Regional. I just fell into, they had a chorus there. I, I joined that chorus. I was on the business staff and um, uh, helping the plays. And I met uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends and uh and we call each other fellow dreamers uh, because we were uh, 15 year old kids dreaming about being sh in show business i still didn't think that it was a job i just thought i would just do it forever you know after my normal job at like con edison or something and uh <laughs> or the gas company and um and that was donna murphy and um and we ended up doing every musical play we recorded two albums we had a radio show we were on uh boston's local talent show community auditions uh, uh i get to high school and that's where i really got into the bit you know just doing theater i didn't again i didn't know what theater was um i remember seeing um and uh, Cleavon Little on the cover of Ebony Magazine. Wow, he was doing yes. Pearly with Melba Pearly. Moore. And, um, but I didn't know that they were acting. I, because I heard Melba Moore sing, I Got Love. So I thought, mm -hmm. uh, much like what I saw at the Apollo Theater every week, which I grew up going to the Apollo Theater on 125th Street, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, that um, I just thought black people sang. And I was like, oh, that's what I do. But I didn't know there was theater. I didn't know we actually spoke as well because again, I'd never seen that. Um, right. And uh, I knew Pearl Bailey was on Broadway, but I thought she mm -hmm. sang Hello Dolly because that's what she did <laughs> on television. She just sang yes. the song. So I didn't know there was a story to Hello Dolly that she was doing. And um, so, um, there I was in, in high school and people were talking about going to college and, uh, and I was, it is a college prep program, so I was going to go to college too. And I ended up going to Tufts University for economics because that's what you do. Now that's Donna right. was going to NYU to study acting and I thought, <laughs> oh, okay, I guess that's all right. I don't know where she's going to work, but uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know she was going to do that as a job. I just thought, oh, she right. really likes Good it. For you. So um, I guess that would be fun, but I got to get a job. So I got to go to college and learn something. And when I was in college, and you talk about how did I fall into the show business, I was doing it um, 
you know, extracurricularly. And uh, I was directing shows with uh, the musical theater program at Tufts University, Touring Ticket, which is still there. Um, it was just in its infancy then, but it's now an institution. And, um, and Donna was, you know, in New York City and I would come down. Um, and then uh, it must have been our sophomore year, um, Donna, uh, one of her dorm mates was a, 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 a woman named, a girl named Karen Azenberg. She was a girl then, she's a woman now. She's now a big time director um, at the Pioneer Theater Company in Utah. But her dad was Manny Azenberg, who produced all of Neil Simon's shows on Broadway. Oh, okay. And Karen just, just said, oh, you know, my dad is having auditions for uh, this Broadway show. You should go down there. And so arranged for Donna to go down to audition for their playing our song. They were looking for a swing for the musical starring Lucy Arnaz and Robert Klein. It was a Marvin Hamlish musical uh, mm -hmm. and uh, Neil Simon had written the book. It was at the Imperial Theater and Donna booked it. <laughs> so these, you can you imagine, you know, like she's 19 years old. She tells me, oh my God, she's gonna be on Broadway. Well, I knew Broadway was big because by then I had seen The Wiz, I had seen um, Yubi, I had seen uh, Bubbling Brown Sugar. Bubbling Brown Sugar, yep. Yeah, so I had seen these shows, um, but to, the thought of knowing someone in an actual Broadway <laughs> show, because now I knew what Broadway was. I mm -hmm. knew it was something that you know people dreamed and aspired to be on, but again, I didn't know that I could do it because um, I didn't see myself there, you know? Um, and so Donna is in the show. I go down to see the show. I swear she was the only one in the show. Don't tell Lucy Arnaz this um, or Debbie <laughs> Shapiro or, you know, or <laughs> any other people. But I, I swear it could have said Donna Murphy and they're playing our song. And I only heard her voice or whatever. And um, I became a big fan of the show actually. And um, so I thought, well, that's it. Okay, one of us made it to Broadway. She was understudying the chorus, and I thought that was as high as one could get, you know, on the Broadway <laughs> stage. And I'm like, that's, right, right, right. that was great. You know, um, never mind her, you know, five Tony nominations and two Tony Awards. Right. That right. was extra. I, I didn't, you know, that's something else. <laughs> but anyway, so... Uh, again, so I'm up in Boston and being, you know, an economics major in my junior year, there was a musical called The All Night Strut. And it was playing at the Next Move Theater downtown in Boston. And at the time it was Boston's longest running show at a year and a half. Uh, of course, Boston now has like Sheer Madness, uh, the, uh, I Love You Perfect Now Change, Forbidden Broadway, Forever Plaid shows that have run, uh, like Sheer Madness, I think, ran over 30 years. Um, and, but then in those days, for Boston was an out-of-town Broadway uh, stop. So shows went there for a couple of weeks and then came to Broadway. Mm -hmm. All Night Strut went there for four weeks and now had played over a year. So it was, it was literally a phenomenon. And when you were in college, um, to see the show for free, you would usher. So I had ushered at the show and um, and then a few minutes later, um, uh, Ain't Misbehaving, the national tour had come through and I thought, oh, I'm gonna go audition for that, you know, because I know that score backwards and forward. Again, I didn't think I was auditioning to be in it. I just thought I was going down there to sing the song. Sing the song. <laughs> because, because I knew them. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I had no, no idea, idea you know what actually could happen <laughs> well i get down there and i'm the skinny little 19 year old kid and um the uh, producers and creative staff of eight misbehaving were also friends with the woman fran charnas who created the all night strut there's a story to, to that but i'm not going to really tell you go into all of that uh save that for either my book or fran charnas's book but um <laughs> anyway um so uh but what happened was um, they, I made it to the end of that audition. Um, I think it was the Wilbur Theater um, down in, in Boston. And, but they passed on me and I guess Fran had said, hey, if you're not gonna use that kid, I would love his picture and resume. And um, so that's why I always say to people, it's like, 
if you don't get an audition, if you don't get a job, don't worry about it. Just do the best that you can do because someone is always watching. And I got a call um, from the All Night Strut and they said, "Um, hi, um, this is the All Night Strut and we wanted to know if you could come down. I was like, oh yeah, I loved ushering. Um, So... Um, I can come down this weekend. And they said, no, no, no. not to usher, to audition for the All Night Strut. And I said, to audition for the All Night Strut. Now, I remember the show where there are only four people in the show, but I remember them like leaping off of the stage into the audience. Okay, this did not happen. It was a four person show a musical review of the 30s and the 40s uh, with tight harmonies uh, similar to the Manhattan Transfer. And they they moved a lot, but there was no leaping. I don't know what I remember <laughs> seeing. Um, it was just, they were moving fast. So I guess in my mind, they, had, they left off the stage. And I told uh, whoever called me, I said, well, thank you, but um, I can't leap like that. And they said, leap? What do you mean leap? I what said, don't they leap all over the stage? They said, well, they dance a lot, but I I think, uh, you know, you should come down. Anyway, so I was like, all right, I'll go down there. Um, so I, I sang my uh, audition song that I still sing to this day. And I sing it because I love the words and it's Shaking the Blues Away, Irving Berlin song. And uh, it's either that or If You Believe. There are only two songs that I uh-huh. sing. And it's because they're inspirational lyrics. And uh, for me to audition, sometimes it's not that I get nervous, but you know, you can, you can come out of your head and start thinking like, oh my God, am I doing well? Well, the reason I sing those two songs because um, they tell the people who, who's ever listening to the song, um, they tell them something inspirational. And I like just talking to people and communicating. Um, so therefore, I sing those songs, Shaking the Blues Away, you know, to tell, you know, get, get rid of those blues, or if you believe, uh, believe in yourself. Um, um, I don't think of myself as auditioning so much as like helping the person who's listening. So I even knew this as a young kid. So I sang Shaking the Blues Away. They liked it. Then they asked me to sing a four-part harmony of Dream When You're Feeling Blue. Um, do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, um, and then they had me dance. Well, I was like, uh-oh. It's all going to be over now. Because now they're going to find out that I do not leap. Leap. Okay. <laughs> well... I was happy to find there was no leaping in the all night strut. It was 1940s swing style dancing, which was similar to Amos Behaven and, and a dance style that is naturally, uh, you know, in my body. And I did those dances and I had the best time. And I, I went home on the tee because the other guy who was down at the end was going to Harvard. And I was going to Tufts and we both had to take the tea out to Harvard Square. And then I had to, you know, not because I didn't go to Harvard. I still had to take another bus to Mm. Tufts. Um, But um, we ended up both getting the show. And um, that was my entree into the the world of of professional theater. And we got the, um, the Toronto cast of the All Night Strut. And again, we went there. It was a short job. It was May through August, so it was a summer job for me. And um, I was coming back to go to Tufts. Oh, that must have been my sophomore year. Yeah, because I was coming back for my junior year at Tufts, five economics courses. And um, Mm. I got the call to, that they were replacing the Boston cast with the Mm. Toronto cast, which I don't know what happened. Uh, maybe they asked for mm. too much money or whatever. But anyway, they were replacing them. And the show's only 80 minutes. I was like, well, I could do that, you know. But what happened was, I was a 19-year-old kid, uh, economics major at Tufts University, that uh, just the press got hold of it. And all of a sudden, I was doing, you know, articles here and on a TV show there because it oh, was wow. like, the news, you know, that this 19-year-old Tufts economics major is now one of the stars of 
uh, Boston's longest running, running show at the time. And so I got burned out and I came back home to when the show finally closed after two and a half years there, January of 1980, if anybody is counting, um, January of 1980, <laughs> and I came home to rest here in New York. But by like March, I was restless. So uh, again, uh, not planning on going into show business, you know, I'm going into, you know, the business world. Um, again, I go to an audition because I see there's an audition for the Mean Nobody Knows uh, that was going to play the Beacon Theater on Broadway, but really off Broadway because Beacon, it was a Broadway in 76. So, but it was an equity audition. So I went to the open call and uh, in those days, you know, we all dressed very nicely to go. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, to be African-American, you want to, you know, always look your best, you know, so you're not thrown out because they think you're some, you know, I don't know what they would think that I was, but, you know, it was hard uh, to sort of just be accepted unless you were well-dressed, um, you know, and I had been told, you know, at, at a couple of, uh, open calls where they said, oh, I'm sorry, we're only seeing uh, white people for this. Oh, well, oh, yeah, it was it, it was real. So, uh, but it, it didn't throw me because the business was white. So it, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so I'll wait until I'll see something where I know that I fit in. And The Mean Nobody Knows was a show that was written, I think, in the late 60s. Irene Cara actually was in it uh, originally in 1970. Um, and um, uh, it, it was about these, it, it was, what did they, they took these urban kids, took their letters about their experience in the city, and then put music to it. Hmm. And uh, it's a beautiful song called, uh, uh, light sings all over the world. Hard to tell you how I feel, which is a great. I think Noel, you would love that song. Hard to Ooh. tell you how I feel. I'm um, gonna look it up because you always oh, tell me the best songs. <laughs> oh, it's, it, when you sing that, when you look at the lyrics, and you will like lose it. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, so I go to the audition. I'm well dressed, but it's about these urban kids. Right. I'm like in my suit and tie and dress shoes. And well, what, they, urban kids don't have suit and tie? Huh? Well, not these urban kids. They were trying to I show, they I were trying it. to yeah. show, you know, that remember this is late 60s, 70s, New That's York City. True. I get it. They are trying mm -hmm. to show the ghetto, okay? The ghetto, so, but they weren't right? trying to say that, okay. You know what I'm okay. saying? So there yeah. I was and I was like, uh, they said, okay, well, we don't have time to see the non-equity people because All Night Strut, it was a union show, but it was AGVA. It wasn't equity. Oh. And so uh, it's equity now. But then uh, in those days, if a show was under 90 minutes and had no book, AGVA had jurisdiction. Oh, okay. Uh, because that was okay. a, uh, American Guild of Variety Artists, which you know as uh, AGVA performer at uh, yes. right. at, Disneyland. At Disney. Right. Disneyland, yes. Because they mostly do shows that are under 90 minutes with no book. That's why, okay. that's why Disney uh, is under an AGVA contract. So there I was, I go into the audition now that they said they're not going to see any non-union, they're just going to typecast us. And I said, oh my God, I got to get in there. So I went to the bathroom, I took off my suit and I stripped down to my, my t-shirt. I took my t-shirt, it was an Ansonia Hotel up on 73rd on Broadway. That's where they used to have auditions in those days. And I, I rubbed my clean white t-shirt all over the floor so it would look dirty. Then I put it back on and then I had an Afro then. And so I messed up my Afro, you know, but I did have a pick in my bag and so then I stuck my pick in my hair, <laughs> and then this- Was it a fist? Uh -huh. Was it the fist? It, of was course it, it was a fist. That was only one pick. <laughs> it, had the, it had the black plastic fist, you, know, fist. you know, and it was, um, so I, um, I uh, you know, this well-dressed, well-educated, Tufts educated young man goes in there and does you know it's it's unfortunate we don't have video but i did what is called <laughs> the diddy bop which is like 
you know, if you know Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch, how he walks, yes. <laughs> it was like you take like one leg and then you slide the next one behind you. <laughs> and you right, one drag leg. It. Yeah, and drag it. So <laughs> I, I diddy bopped in, like into easy, there. Like Easy Reader from Electric Company. You know what I'm saying? So I diddy bopped into that yes. out. And then uh, 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 Doug Kirsten was the director. And I remember him looking at me and he said, he said, what's your name? And I said, uh, yo, my name is Lance. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, well, Lance, do you know your vocal range? And I said, well, you mean like, like, like how low, how high I sing? He said, yeah. I said, well, Actually, I go down to an F, and then I can go up to an A very easily. <laughs> so, 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 so he says, uh, "Lance, would you mind staying?" And I and and then I realized that I had fallen out of the character. I said, "Well, yeah." <laughs> so I stayed. And Doug, Doug Kirsten ended up giving me my equity uh, card. And uh, my first show was technically on Broadway, but is off Broadway off at Broadway. the Beacon Theater. Uh, as what was that? Must have been spring of 1980. And, and so, bam, I don't even remember what the question was. But anyway, oh, how did I get in the show business? And so that's how <laughs> I got into the show business. Yeah. So, but that. Uh, is based, that was my entree into show business. And uh, at the time, in 1980, we had come out of an era of like the Me Nobody Knows, Runaways was on Broadway. The, mm -hmm. the, the musicals that had won Best Musical were a, a small musical called Ain't Misbehavin'. Mm -hmm. Even yes. Evita, people think of Evita as, as this big, lush musical, but in the day, it was just it was scaffolding. Bare bones. Bare yeah, bones. It was bare bones. Evita was like a rock opera. And it was like scaffolding, you know, with signs mm -hmm. and some fire torches. So, um, and it was dramatic. I was like, you know, oh my God, you know, I the reason I really liked the idea of Broadway was old Broadway with like, you know, sparkles, spangles, sequins, and Jerry Herman, you know, belting. <laughs> And I was like, oh, but Broadway isn't that. And now I have mm -hmm. my equity card. Oh, well, I guess this is what I'm gonna have to do, these dark sort of urban dramatic shows. So I ran off that summer and auditioned for Kings Island because they had a sparkly show called That's Entertainment because I needed some <laughs> Yes, sequence. I heard about Twitter. that one. And that was in 1980. Yeah. And so, and then, so that's when I really, I, I got like, oh, my fill of Broadway. But that summer, and I still think that we're in the era of this particular show. People think that we're in the era of, you know, the big uh, British musicals. Uh, but I think it was Gower Champion and David Merrick that started it because 42nd Street opened that August of 1980. And it was, it was an extravaganza. There was, we had not seen that many people on stage, that many costumes, that kind of tap dancing, the Busby Berkeley style that Gower Champion uh, brought back. And uh, that was a true blockbuster, which I think we're still in that, you know, big mm -hmm. and having these beautiful sets and everything. Um, that just was not a thing. And, um, and even though Gower Champion had done Hello, Dolly, this bested his Hello, Dolly, because it was bigger and brighter even than Hello, Dolly. And I, I'll never forget coming back uh, from Kings Island. And, and I went to see that show because a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine were, were in the show. And I was like, oh my goodness, Broadway is back. I'm gonna do that. And even though I planned to go back to Tufts, by the end of that year, I started working in, the, in New York City. And then by the end of 19, 81, um, I had, um, I was 21 years old and I was walking down the street bemoaning the fact that everybody else was on Broadway except for me. 
duh, not true. Like two people were on Broadway, but you know, kids get dramatic. And um, <laughs> I was, I know I was walking along Lexington Avenue, literally crying to myself, everybody's on Broadway, but me, <laughs> and I'm almost 22. I'll be finished soon. You know, it's like 22. We don't even know anything, but I thought I, I was going to be finished. And, um, and then right before my 22nd birthday, I got called uh, to be in my first Broadway show. And it was called The First, about Jackie Robinson, um, uh, the first African-American uh, African in the Negro Leagues, a baseball mm -hmm. player. And um, it was Martin Sharnan's follow-up to Annie. And it starred David Allen Greer. It was his first show. He was just out of Yale. Uh, Lynette McKee was in it. David Huddleston, people know him. He ended up being uh, Santa Claus. And the show was fantastic. It was great. I was to have the same job, similar job, that Donna had when she got her Broadway debut. I was going to be the swing, the understudy to the male ensemble. And I go see the show and I'm like excited, you know, because they had told me that, you know, I was going to be in this Broadway show and it was going to open soon. And, and that's when they were going to give me my contract. And but I went to see the show, you know, like at least once a week because I was like, oh, I'm a part of that. Oh, my goodness. Um, and because in those days they didn't hire the swings until after the show opened. As opposed to now, a lot of the swings, you know, start with with us, you know, from day one. Well, um, I didn't realize when you got a Broadway show that they didn't stay open forever <laughs> because this one opened and I went to the opening night party. And by the time I got there, people were walking out of the party saying, oh, don't worry going in because the New York Times review came out and it's not that great. And I was like, what? You know, I felt like that, you know, the, the kid in chorus line would like, I just got here. How <laughs> was everybody leaving, you know? Um, but um, uh, they called me to the theater the day after it opened and uh, they said, come down to the theater. And uh, the entire cast gathered upstage of the curtain and Martin Sharnan came out and he said, you know, we have a great show. The audiences love it. They had been cheering. They had been cheering, you know, for the, the entire preview period. I think it was a couple of weeks in those days. And, um, and he said, we have a good show. We believe in our show, uh, but we don't want to like bad mouth the critics who did not like our show. Uh, most of the critics did like the show. It was the Times, and I think it was uh, Clive Barnes, um, um, who liked it, but just thought like in 19, what was it, 81 by that time, that the first African-American anything um, it was either too soon or too late to hear that story. Um, then, yeah, it was it was very interesting, you know, because in the eighties, you know, African Americans were making progress, so it was like we had had a lot of first. Um, but this was a story about nineteen forty seven when you know the, the the walls were first broken down. So I still think it's a relevant story, but they didn't think it was a relevant story. And, um, and then in those days you had to have a rave review in order to stay open. And we were a fairly large show. Um, but it seemed like we were going to weather the storm and stay open because Martin Sharnan said, but I want to introduce you to our new cast member. He will be swinging the male ensemble, Lance Roberts. So the entire cast looked at me with such hope and optimism. I remember thinking they were like, and they told me this later, it was like, when we saw you, we thought, oh, well, obviously we're staying open, you know, cause you're here. And I was thinking, oh, obviously, I'm going to be on Broadway because I'm here. Yeah. And they showed me my dressing room at the Martin Beck Theater. Uh, wait, what's it called now? The, the Hirschfeld. Where Moulin oh, Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. It was the Martin Beck Theater. And I had the dressing room the farthest away from the stage, unlike the 29th floor. Um, <laughs> we kept walking up. It was only like five floors. But I was like, oh, my 29th. God. You know, <laughs> I guess this is heaven. Um, so... so <laughs> We go, Such um, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and then I, I kept watching the show and watching the show and then the writing was on the wall because the audience started dwindling and a couple of weeks later, the show uh, closed. 
So it was my Broadway debut, but I never made it onto the stage. Uh, but mm. in, I'll never forget that Martin Chardon said uh, to the cast and the crew, he said there was no need to uh, like talk poorly about um, the critics that didn't like the show because we had to all work together again. And he says, and if we're lucky, we'll get to go around this block again. And I kept that to heart. And I was like, well, the show is closing, but you know, we'll do it all again. You know, because now I didn't think that I could be on Broadway. Now is on Broadway. And I thought, oh, well then I'll just do another one next week. Well, that block that I walked around, uh, it took 30 years to come back to Broadway. Wow. So I didn't actually make my onstage Broadway debut until 30 years from that date in 2010. And that's why I left Aladdin at Disney because I was going to be making my Broadway onstage debut in the Pee Wee Herman show as a King of Cartoons. Yeah. And since then, it's like now I think I've been in seven or eight Broadway shows and at least what have you. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because I, I count. I try to see as counting, many of them as yeah. possible. I was like, okay, well, there's this. Oh, but that was off Broadway. Uh, oh, there was that. And oh, every time yeah. I'm in my car and I drive in, uh, Robert, Robert Bridegroom comes on Sirius. Uh -huh. And I can just hear you and I'm driving. I'm like, there's Lance. I, hear, I think I even tweeted that out to you. Like, I yeah, hear you, Lance. Yeah. yeah, I think you took a picture and sent it to me. I love it. For marriage is riches. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> so again, you, you wanted to know, how did I end up in the show business? I really have fallen into every phase of my show business life because even then, you know, why it took 30 years to get back to Broadway was because I got a new Broadway musical, six people in group therapy, and I was one of the six. And it was a musical called Walls. And to tell you how long ago, uh, me and Faith Prince were the kids. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, she was my girlfriend and it was an interracial couple. And I was a like pre-med student. And so we thought, oh, this is innovative because again, it's like being an African-American, you know, uh, in a musical. Not very many faces. Yeah, have, not very but, many faces or to not be like a sports figure or a tap dancer and these are all great things to be and um great entrees you know into uh being successful in america but we didn't hear very many stories about doctors and lawyers and i was going to play a an aspiring doctor and um, I thought, well, this is fantastic. Uh, my manager even thought it was fantastic. There was a Tony Award clause in my contract because they thought, oh, people are going to love this. So our out-of-town tryout was not Boston. It was Los Angeles, which oh, wow. was very exotic to me. And I was like, um, I only had known one person, you know, who had gone to, uh, no, two people, uh, one a girl who had gone to USC and another guy who had gone to Stanford. So I knew of people out in Los Angeles, but really my idea of Los Angeles was what I learned on chips on television. And <laughs> oh that was, a, <laughs> oh dear. So, so oh there was a, a lot of like Eric Estrada on the freeway. So <laughs> I didn't know that there were actual streets in Los Angeles. I thought oh my. like, I thought I really did. I thought, but yeah, like highway, like the Jetsons. The Jetsons, like you just, you know, you went on just these highways. The and I was, I was trying to figure out, I was like, how do they get off the highway into their apartments? It's, is it like the Jetsons? Not in this traffic. Well, but I, I literally thought that you got off of the highway and you and went that into was the it. apartment building, you know, like the Jetsons. So oh, that would be nice. Oh, it's, but that's really what <laughs> I thought it was. So I was thrilled to go out there with Walls and we go out there and the show wasn't a bad show. It was, this was now 1983. It was about the me generation mm -hmm. and the me generation was in the seventies and it felt really late. And uh, the critics thought it was like, again, you know, saying that, it's time had passed. And so that show closed and I'm in Los Angeles, but it is, the, uh, I think it was the first week of March 
and it was like 80 degrees. And yes. being from New York City, we don't have 80 degrees until like May or June. And I was like, I'm staying till the mm -hmm. end of the month. So again, <laughs> I decided to stay into the month. I go to the unemployment office. I run into a friend um, who I had worked with at Opryland in 1978. Um, and um, I was going to meet him for lunch um, at a, di a, a dinner theater. Well, if you were a New York theater actor and you worked on Broadway, in those days, you didn't work in dinner theater. Now That's we right. work wherever we can get paid yep. and get those health weeks. We work okay. wherever. It's like, it's like movie stars on television and cable now. It's like no one really, there's, the walls have come down. We will yeah. work wherever. But in those days, um, I remember even certain people would go, oh, I do Broadway. I don't do commercials, you know. Exactly. Now, or again, I don't do television. Oh, yeah. We, or I don't do TV. Exactly. We work wherever. But those days, um, I was to meet this friend down at a dinner theater. And, um, and he said, it's by Disneyland. And um, I'm from New York. I, you know, I've watched game shows and, and they would win trips to Disneyland in Los Angeles. No mm -hmm. one ever said anything about no Anaheim. So nope. I don't know what Anaheim was. So he said Disneyland and I like to drive. And I was like, oh, I'll just meet you there. Um, he says, it's right down the five freeway. And I'm like, oh, I've seen that number. I'll find that. Again, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, it's 10, Ten minutes. minutes away. <laughs> I am driving and driving. Ten times. <laughs> you know, because um, I had this thing called the Thomas Guide. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have GPS. In the door of the car. GPS. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we had the Thomas Guide, and I am driving down to this place called Anaheim, which mm -hmm. I'm like, that's where Disneyland? Okay, Los Angeles is huge. Um, so <laughs> I'm driving and driving and driving, and I get down. And we, in those days, you didn't have the fancy Disneyland ramp like we have now. Oh, no, you know, no, to get it was Harbor. At, yeah, yeah, you had to get off at Harbor, no ball road, That's nothing, right. you know, uh, with the fancy exit, you know. So I get there, I go across the street. Um, uh, the Grand Dinner Theater was where that, oh, they have now torn down that, ho there was a hotel there uh, for many years that they had torn down the Grand Dinner Theater. It's where, it, it, across the street, across Harbor, where like, I think there was an IHOP there. Yes, it's, directly yes. across the street. Yeah, yeah. directly There's across the street. There's an IHOP and a yeah. Denny's and yeah, yes. okay. That's where the Grand Dinner Theater was in the Grand oh, Hotel. Okay. And it was a dinner theater where a lot of, uh, you know, t TV stars from the 70s um, and uh, would perform. It was like a top dinner theater. Oh, so wow. I'm sitting there waiting for my friend and he never shows up because he's at a Disneyland audition, which they are famously eight hours long. So I am sitting there <laughs> waiting for him and we didn't have, uh, we didn't, I don't know if I had a pager. I probably didn't have a pager. I did have an answering service, um, but we didn't have cell phones in those days. So I'm sitting there hours and hours and hours. And, um, and he had left a message and said that he was still at his Disneyland callback across the street and they kept asking me do you want to audition for this dinner theater show i said oh no i'm waiting for a friend i don't have a picture and resume and uh and so after about four hours of sitting there you know you get the bug everybody else is singing you want to sing and it turns out the show was they're playing our song <laughs> think you know that one i knew that show <laughs> you know uh not only because i would go see donna in it but I actually had been cast as a swing in it in the tour, but I ended up oh. taking Walls instead because Walls, I was the lead or one of the leads. And um, so, but I was very familiar with all of the parts because at the swing, I had to know all three of the guys' parts. So uh -huh. I told them, I said, well, I don't have a song and picture and resume, but I know the entire score, so I can sing the score for you and I can sing all the parts. So I went in and I sang it and they were like, oh, that was fun. So my friend never <laughs> showed up. I go back home, I get a call from my manager in New York because I'd given them uh, the information. He said, well, there's a dinner theater wants you to do their playing our song. I said, oh yeah, I was waiting there yesterday and I sang, but I, I'm not gonna do that. Then he said, 
oh, because they paid and what they were paying, I, it was like almost Broadway minimum. I don't know why they're paying this much money, wow. but it was a lot of money for a dinner theater. I think because they consider that a smaller show because mm-hmm. there were only like eight people in the show. So they were paying a lot of money. I was like, really? They're going to pay all that? Because that was almost what I'd been making, you know, to be in walls. And then what clinched it, see, in those days, stars didn't work on Broadway. I had worked with the star in a, a little touring concert of a Cotton Club review that starred Cab Calloway. And of Ooh, course, wow. I knew him, the Heidi Heidi Ho man, and people know him from the Blues Brothers movies, but he was, a, of course, legend from it's the 30s a big and 40s. Deal. Yeah. yeah. So I had worked with right. a famous person, but, you know, but I didn't know him from television. I just knew him because he's Cab Calloway and, you know, his picture was up at, on the wall at the Apollo Theater. So, but then my manager said, well, it could be fun for you to work with Joanne Worley. I said, what? <laughs> Joanne Worley, I watched her on laughing. She goes, she's she's famous. She's on Hollywood Squares, you know. And you know, and then it was like, I'm like, and then uh and he said, Yeah, and our husband Roger Perry. I'm like, Roger Perry, I know Roger Perry because they they were on this TV show where it was like couples, you know, and it was three famous couples. And I'm like, oh my God, I know them. I had to do it because I'm like, what? They're famous? I'll be working with famous people? Well, that was the best decision that I ever made because they became very dear to me. Uh, Roger's gone now. Um, uh, but I, they were my auntie and uncle. And I felt like I had a family in Los Angeles. And then the show at the dinner theater became such a hit. We kept getting extended. So the show that was going to be like four or five weeks ended up running like 12 weeks. And, wow. and then while I was there, I, get, I, get, I got another job. And then that job led to another job. And then I was like a year in Los Angeles. I was only supposed to stay till the end of March. And um, I ended up in this show with Donna McKechnie and Pamela Myers and Tony Stevens was directing it. And, um, you know, that was a huge hit. And then we moved to the Westwood Playhouse, now the Gatham Playhouse. And, um, and then it closed in two weeks. So, um, <laughs> so I was there in Los Angeles thinking that I was in a, a big hit show. And it's now been a year. And I'm like, well, what do I do? Now, this is to talk about like, you know, you end up, you don't know where you're going to end up. I didn't have any more money, but I needed to take some dance classes because you all know I can't leap. So <laughs> I'm still <laughs> studying. Which I'm like, but I can't afford the dance classes, even though they were only $5 in those days. Um, and so uh, um, I saw an audition uh, by Grover Dale, who um, is now writing his book, which is a great book. I mean, he was, he's one of the, the, the suitors in uh, Unsinkable Molly Brown. He's in all of the movies. He's, of course, uh, directed Magic Show on Broadway. I mean, Grover Dale is like a legend. And he was directing a show and we had done a workshop in New York. And I remember really enjoying Grover and I could do his choreography because it was sort of 1940s. So I said, I'm gonna go to his audition for dancers, even though I, I wasn't a dancer, it would be a free dance class. Mm, there you, go. you see what I'm saying? This is what, and this is what I tell people now, if you are low on money, go to an audition and you'll get the free dance free class. Dance class. <laughs> Great <laughs> because idea. now, yeah, because they're now like $20. Yeah. So I don't want to take any money out of my friends who are dance teachers, but sometimes you just don't have the cash, but you got to get in shape. I say go to any open call and just <laughs> get your dance life on. If you get the job, that's a bonus. If you don't, you just got a class. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a win-win, you know? So I go to this class and it was a huge open call. It, there had to be like 60 dancers there and I'm all the way in the back. And, you know, I was that dancer when they turned right, I turned left. <laughs> I was so turned around in there. And I'll never forget uh, this one girl who I knew, she was a rocket because I had worked at Radio City um, 
and uh, uh, in the early eighties uh, in their show called America. And, uh, and I knew her from there and she said, Lance, you're going the wrong direction. I was like, Oh, my goodness. So um, I was very thankful that she helped me, but then they asked for the people in the back to come up front. Uh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and people who, uh, who don't really dance know that fear. They know, oh my goodness, now I can't, I can't hide behind anyone. I can't follow anyone because mm -hmm. now I'm in the front. Yeah. Well, then what happened was the choreography where I was turning the wrong direction, he decided to do a new combination. So good news and bad news. The good news is I didn't know the other combination, obviously. The bad news was I'm not gonna know the new one either. But he did a combination what, that was in a 1940 style that was close to something that, like I said, just comes naturally to me. And I was like, whoa, I could do this. So I was like, this is gonna be the best dance class ever because I'm gonna accomplish something by actually remembering some of the choreography and doing it halfway decently. Well, baby, I booked that job as a dancer for 13 weeks at $1,300 a week. Do you know how much money that is in oh, yeah. 1984. That was That's so a lot of money back in much, the day. Yep. Mm -hmm. That was I was rich, y'all. They they could pay me that now. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that show? It was a Pontiac Industrial, and we toured, <laughs> and uh, we toured with the I think it was the the Fiero. I think the Pontiac Fiero, oh, yeah. but our star mm -hmm. was, oh, wow. um, our singing star was Elaine Joyce, who had been married yeah. to Bobby Van. Bobby uh, Van, she, yeah. She now is Neil Simon's widow. Um, and um, our comic star, which is 1984, was none okay. other than Jay Leno. No way. way. That's yeah. awesome. Jay Leno. So uh, it was, uh, I always, I always like, I said, I gotta like become known. So I, once Jay became the official guy on the Johnny Carson show, I'm like, I gotta become known so I can go on the Johnny Carson <laughs> show, you know, now starring Jay Leno and, uh, you know, tell him the stories of, of us on tour. Well, you know, doing the theater, they don't put too many theater people right. on there. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't do as much television in those days. Uh, so I missed that opportunity, but Jay was, amazing as was Elaine Choice and uh, we toured and toured and um, and that got me back um, sort of going again with money and show business so I was able to continue my career in Los Angeles where I remember saying I will stay in Los Angeles and this is why I say be careful what you wish for as long as I can do theater and uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that if you are uh, determined, you can do so much equity theater in the Los Angeles area because for 28 years, I was blessed enough to, I ended up working at every single professional theater in the Los Angeles area, which also extended to Las Vegas and San Diego, um, except for one. And uh, it's still there, so I still got my eyes on you, Pantages. <laughs> <laughs> Pantages. <laughs> but yes, but I, I met Noel when I was working at the Schubert, but mm -hmm. you know, the Westwood Playhouse, LATC, the Mark Taper Forum, the Dorothy Chandler, uh, the Amundsen, all of those, I worked. And so people were like saying, um, what are you doing in Los Angeles? Are you, don't you wanna come back to Broadway? I said, what, and give up the sunshine and my BMW? Um, <laughs> you know, Are you kidding? Like, I know, <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, but it's like, it, it just, there was a, a joy knowing that there was theater all over Los Angeles. You know, you have to seek it out because it's not like, you know, Broadway where, you know, the theaters are in, you know, a, a concentrated yeah. area, yeah. you know, it's like you're driving an hour, maybe two hours for an audition and a callback, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, there were many days where I was working at the Lawrence Welk Dinner Theater in Escondido, but I had a ragtime audition at the Schubert. So you're yeah. running, you know, in between shows, you know, which, and it was, you know, an hour and 45 minute 
drive yeah. with no traffic. Yeah. No traffic. And, exactly. you know, at least, I was going to say, at yeah. least. So, I mean, it's like there's a lot of that that goes on, but it's like uh, you are able to have a, a theater life in Los Angeles mm-hmm. if you're willing to drive and, and you know, figure out well now this gps you know there you know there are ways to get around the city you know and to For get sure. to all of these auditions um but there i always say there is theater in los angeles absolutely just you have to seek it out absolutely you know and yeah. uh you know of course very thankful that i got to work at disney uh for those um it was like seven, seven and a half years you know that was good too but um but prior to that it was all equity work you know, there. And um, it just kept the theater going along until I finally made it back to New York and hello Broadway in, it was, uh, it's been nine years that I've been here. Um, Again, only came here to do the 12 week run of the Pee Wee Herman show. And while I was doing the Pee Wee Herman show, I remember saying this like to myself, again, we even, we have to watch even what we say to ourselves, you know, that's why, you know, people joke about affirmations, but I think affirmations are very, very important because you can manifest them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're the only ones that truly stop us from achieving our dream. And once I got here and it had nothing to do with being cocky or anything, it really was, you know, that pie in the sky dream. And I jokingly said, and the show had, totally been cast but i love the movie i love the show i said oh when i go to new york i'm gonna be in sister act well what happened there it was is. they wrote a new book and even though the show had been cast the new book called for additional men so they had a call and when my manager called i was like that's crazy they're having an audition for Sister Act. I jokingly said that I was going to be in it when I came to New York. And um, I go to the audition and I had another angel where I was going the wrong direction once again in the choreography. Uh, but one of the guys who was auditioning against me mm-hmm. uh, helped me and he said, Lance, you have to go this way. And once again, and it is like, you know, it's like, that's why it's like, if I know something, I try to help people because so many people have helped me. And, um, and I'll never forget because I wonder if he remembers, but that was Alan H. Green. And we both ended up in the show together. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that was fantastic. But um, uh, yeah, so I ended up making my musical theater Broadway debut in the same theater that I had, I saw my very first musical for my sixth grade graduation, the Broadway theater. And I saw uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Wow. And that was part of the, the original run of Fiddler on the Roof. So that was in 1971. They were at the end of their run, but I got to see it. And, um, and so it's funny. It's like, whenever I think about this, I get a little emotional because when I finally hit the stage, because Broadway at PB Herman was just a blast. I mean, people were screaming, you know, that every time like the so characters. Oh my God. It's still on uh, HBO Go. And yeah. you can hear oh, the yeah. pandemonium. I just watched uh, it again. Oh my God. It's so much fun. And go, so you know, you know, I, I it was crazy because that was like a Broadway dream come true. Because you think of Broadway like you're gonna enter, you know, center stage, you know, and they're gonna cheer, even though they weren't cheer for me, they were cheering for the king of cartoons, I would sometimes be holding there while they're cheering. And sometimes Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman would turn up stage and mouth, are they still going on? (laughs) You know. (laughs) Yes. Like, you know, so, uh, but they love the king of cartoons. And, you know, and then by the time I go, let the cartoons begin, you know, they would scream again. But again, that was a play. And uh, Broadway is a musical uh, for most of us. And so when I came out in Sister Act on the stage at the Broadway theater, I'll never forget, I looked up to to the area where I was sitting when I saw Fiddler on the Roof. Wow. 40 years prior. And, and I saw that little 11 year old kid, you know, not knowing that this was going to be his dream 
and mm. his life's work, you know, and um, I shared it with my cast and I just explained how, how personal it was to not only be on a Broadway stage in a lovely, joyful musical. I love Sister Act. Oh my God, that show just, it just makes people beam, you know, when they're watching the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to know that, you know, you never know where you're going to end up in your life and career, you know, but um, wherever you are, you have to know that that is your future. You, you you might be looking at your future, you know, take it in. It's hard for kids to know, you know, whether they are going to be a politician, a lawyer, a doctor, a performer, a sports figure or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's something for everyone. You don't know where you're going to go, you know, right. it's like, so that's why I always say it's like, just sort of take in everything. And I'm so uh, thankful that my mother you know, took me to the Broadway theater, you know, as a graduation gift, which was from sixth grade, you know, which I didn't even know why she did that. But, and she, I asked her, she says, she doesn't know that everyone went to Fiddle on the Roof in New York in those days. So that's why she took me. Uh, But I was always thankful for that, you know, because it really gave me uh, a moment of gratitude, you know, of the journey. So this concludes our episode today of Broadway Babies with Lance Roberts. So thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. I'm Stephanie Anderson. And I'm Noelle Hannibal. Thank you so much, Lance Roberts, for joining us for this epic episode of Broadway (laughs) Babies. Thank you for having me. It's been grand, 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 as Peggy Sawyer says. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you next time. All right. right, See you guys.